Good morning, Grace Church. Man, it feels so good to be back here. Um, last week, I was out of commission, um, and, and I'm just, I'm really excited to be back here. My name is Brandon, and, and I'm the pastor, and, and before we get into our teaching, we're going to do something a little different this morning. You guys with me for that? We're going to do something a little different. The odds are that if you're here this morning, you've got something on your mind. Maybe something going on at home, your family. Uh, maybe marital problems, maybe financial issues, maybe you're feeling burned out, you're feeling a little stressed, you're feeling anxious, maybe you're even struggling with some depression, maybe you are in a season right now where you are seeking God's wisdom and direction, trying to figure out what's next in your life, whatever it might be. One thing that I firmly believe is that this morning, you are here and God wants to speak to you. That God wants to speak something into your heart this morning to encourage you or maybe show you an area of your life you need to give over to him. And so to posture our hearts and position ourselves to hear from God, what we're going to do is for the next 20 seconds, we're just going to be quiet. And so here's what I want everybody in the room. I want everybody, I want you to close your eyes. Everybody, everybody close your eyes. And I want you to just take a couple deep breaths. Just a couple deep breaths just to relax and just be quiet. And for the next 20 seconds, just put distractions out of your mind. Try to zone in on why you're here today. God, speak to us today. We invite you into our lives. In all the mess and all the chaos, God, we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of us, we need to practice that a little more in our lives, right? 20 seconds probably just felt like 20 years to some of you, just sitting in silence. But we are in the middle of a series called Nestuo. And Nestuo is the Greek word that means to fast. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at fasting and how we can better practice it in our lives. In our first week, we, we just looked at what does fasting mean? When we look at the Bible, what does it actually mean to fast? And, and what we found is that in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us a description of what fasting is. He even says, when you fast. And then he gives us like a step-by-step, -step. when you fast, here's what fasting looks like. And that's Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to go back and kind of learn what does it mean to biblically fast from food, go to Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus explains that. But then last week, we got to hear from our lead pastor of Grace Church, Sean Sears, and he looked at fasting in the early church, specifically in the book of Acts. And, and Sean talked about how we learned that fasting is not only something we do in community, we can do together as a body, the body of Christ as a church, but it's also something that increases our spiritual capacity. And I would encourage you, if you did not hear Pastor Sean's teaching on fasting last week, go to thatsgrace.org slash messages and look it up because he had an example with a balloon that was just unbelievable in, in kind of showing what it looks like when we fast and increase our spiritual capacity. 
But now here we are, we're on week three. And, and I, I would guess maybe some of you, like our first week when we talked about fasting, like you were amped up. You're like, yes, fasting. I'm fasting from every meal. And like the first few days, you're like, no breakfast, no lunch, no dinner. Like you're even cutting like milkshakes and like Chick-fil-A and fast food out of your life. You're like, I'm even sacrificing all of this. You know, you're cutting all that out. And then week two, all of a sudden the fun's worn off a little bit, right? And you're like, all right, I'll give up brunch this week. I'll give up second breakfast, right? I'll, I'll, I'll fast from Chick-fil-A this week. And now here we are in, in week three. And if you're being honest, you kind of entered in here and you're like, I bet we're going to talk about fasting. And, and when you think about fasting now, all of a sudden it's kind of stale. Like you're kind of over it. Yeah, it was great for one week, but like I'm bored. When I was in, in when I was growing up, uh, I had I just want to nerd out. Okay, give me a sec. So when I was growing up, I had what was called a Sega Genesis. Okay, some of you might know what a Sega Genesis. Anyone under like 20 in the room, you're probably what are those words? And yes, Sega Genesis. Okay, and my favorite games of all time were Sonic the Hedgehog, okay? And this specifically, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, some of you, the nostalgia right now in the room is full, okay? Sonic the Hedgehog 2, this specifically was my favorite game. I loved it. I played it every moment I could. I, I mean, there was no dust on it. Some of you might even remember like it was the cartridge you had to stick in and you had to do, you had to do that to like put it into the top, right? To get it to work. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, this was my absolute favorite game, but here's what happened. I played it so much that over time, it started to get a little boring. Now here's the thing, with games back in the 90s, you never beat them. They were impossible to like beat the whole game, but man, I could get to like level six out of 30 every time, right? Like I knew how to do that. And eventually it just kind of became stale for me. But then Sonic and Knuckles came out. And Sonic and Knuckles was this new technology where it was its own game, but not only was it its own game, you could take another Sonic the Hedgehog game and stack it on top. And all of the sudden, Sonic and Knuckles, this new character Knuckles, was integrated into whatever game you st stacked on top. And so when this came out, I took Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and I stacked it on top. And all of a sudden, when I booted it up, all of a sudden, this Knuckles character was brand new in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Like, how, how does this technology exist? And all of a sudden, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 had this new meaning for me. It was no longer stale. I wanted to play it again every single minute of every single day. It revitalized my passion for the whole gang. And what I want to look at today is a story in the Old Testament where the people of Israel, they're fasting and their spiritual lives had become stale. Just like me with Sonic the Hedgehog 2, originally it had been something I really wanted, but over time it kind of faded into something that was stale. And that's something we see in the Israelites' lives. And so we're going to be looking at how to keep fasting fresh and exciting in our lives, just like Sonic and Knuckles did for me. So if you will, 
grab your Bibles. Grab a Bible off the back of the seat in front of you. Open up to the Bible app. You're going to go to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 7. That's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Just before the New Testament. Okay, the New Testament is the second half of the Bible, the Old Testament, which is where we're going to be, Zechariah chapter 7. And Zechariah was a prophet. And what a prophet would do is they would hear words from God and then they would communicate them to the people. Okay, and so Zechariah is this prophet and he's speaking to the people of Israel after they've been freed from 70 years of captivity and, and exile under the Babylonians. Okay, so 70 years they've been under captivity and in exile in, uh, under the Babylonians. But they've just been freed and they've returned home to Israel. They've returned home to Jerusalem to kind of restart their lives. And during those 70 years, the people of Israel every August would set aside time and they would fast and pray. And they would do this to remember when the temple was destroyed and when Jerusalem was destroyed. And so now here we are, they, they come back to Jerusalem and, and They've returned and they're starting to rebuild the temple and they're wondering, do we still need to fast? Like we fasted when we were in exile, but now we're back. Do we still need to do this? And so Zechariah chapter 7 verses 1 to 3 kind of sets the stage. It says this, on December 7th of the fourth year of King Darius's reign, another message came to Zechariah from the Lord. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regemelech along with their attendants to seek the Lord's favor. And they were to ask this question of the prophets and the priests at the temple of the Lord of Heaven's army. So this is what the Israelites want to know right here. Should we continue to mourn and fast each summer on the anniversary of the temple's destruction as we have done so for so many years? Okay, so that seems pretty simple. Like it, it, it's a pretty simple question to ask, like, should we, do we need to keep doing this? It, it seems kind of pointless now. But what we see in God's response next is God's more concerned with our hearts than our spiritual discipline and our fasting. He wants to know what's in the heart. And so in verses four to six, this is what the Lord says back to their question. The Lord of heaven's army sent me this message in reply. So this is Zacharias speaking for God, what God wants him to say. Say to all your people and your priests, during these 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer and in early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? Was it really for me that you were fasting? Verse six, and even now in your holy festivals, aren't you eating and drinking just to please yourselves? So to keep, what, what we learn here is to keep our fasts from becoming stale. We must first check the posture of our hearts. And, and this leads us to the first lesson we learned from the Israelites in their fast. And that is this, fasting should glorify God. Th this is why we do it. There's, there's no other reason. Fasting should glorify God. That is why we are fasting. God is speaking to the Israelites in verses four to six saying, listen, the fasting that you were doing, yeah, it was great on the outside, but it wasn't for me on the inside. 
You weren't fasting for me. Even now, as you have your holy festivals, aren't you doing that just to please yourselves? It, it, see, fasting, it's not, a, it's not a tool to get what you want, and it doesn't give you power over God. It doesn't, it doesn't in, uh, incite some magical ability that all of a sudden you're fasting and God has to bend to whatever you want. And it's not about impressing those people that might be around you with how spiritual you are. I, I mean, Jesus speaks to that kind of heart in Matthew chapter 23. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking about the religious leaders and, and their heart condition. And Jesus says this. He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. Side note, those sound awesome and I'm going to get some, okay? And they wear robes with extra long tassels. See, Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders saying, listen, yeah, you look great on the outside, but inside you're dead. Fasting is not meant to show how strong you are or show other people how spiritual you are. It's meant to remind you how weak you are and how much you need God in your life. It brings us back to the posture where we realize how desperate we actually are for God to intervene in our lives. And all we can do in that place is glorify him, is worship him, is praise him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 Paul, the, the author Paul, who wrote this book, he's writing to a, a church in the, the town of Corinth, the city of Corinth. He says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do, do it for the glory of God. And see, I, I, was, I was reading this and I don't know if I'd ever applied it kind of this way. A lot of times we apply this verse to um, you know, spiritual principles like whenever you read your Bible, do it all for the glory of God. Or whenever you're spending time in prayer, make sure you do it all for the glory of God. Or whenever time, whenever you go to a church on Sunday, make sure you're doing that because you want to glorify God in everything you do. And, and yet, I, we leave out the first part of this verse. Whatever you eat or drink. I mean, Paul, Paul specifically puts that in there. Whatever you eat or drink, Paul is telling us that even in what we can consume, we can bring God glory. Even in what we choose not to consume, we can bring God glory. Because remember, biblical fasting, and we talked about this in week one, biblical fasting is denying yourself physical food and instead choosing to feast or, or grow our appetite for spiritual things, to grow closer to God. And maybe some of you, like during this fast, since we've been talking about this week one, maybe you started fasting and what you found is, man, you think about food a lot. Okay, if you're anything like me, like you've never wanted a, just a cliff bar so badly in your life. You just think about food all the time and it's in those moments it's in those moments at breakfast, lunch, or dinner or throughout your day when food comes to mind and you're, and you're choosing to fast in those moments. It's in those moments that when that food comes to your mind, you say, God, thank you for another day of life. God, thank you so much for my kids. 
God, thank you so much for saving me. God, thank you for providing in my life in so many ways. And while this might seem small, what you're learning is discipline and self-control and to glorify God in situations where you're being tempted with something. What you're doing is you're slowly starting to transform to look more like Jesus. You're learning to say no to what your flesh wants and say yes to what God wants. And I think this even goes beyond um, just food. I think when we fast and we start to learn self-control and discipline, it can lead to other areas of our life where maybe it can lead you to say no to lust in certain situations. It can lead you to start saying no to just one more drink. It can lead you to start saying no to just, I need a little more. I need a taste. It can lead you to start saying no when, when there's some juicy gossip you want to share with your neighbor. It, when we, when we fast, when we spend time glorifying God in our fast, we're learning to deny ourselves and instead glorify him. And the Israelites had forgotten in the book of Zechariah, this story that we're looking at, the Israelites had forgotten that this is what it's all about because for them, it had just become another thing that they have to do. They had to do this. It's not something they, were, they, they realized they were invited into to glorify God. And maybe some of you, like, since we've been talking about fasting, you've kind of felt like that. You're like, great, another spiritual thing I have to do to be a good Christian. No, you're thinking about that all wrong. That's the religious leader's mindset. You're invited into fast. God is inviting you to deny yourself and to glorify him and to remember how good he has been in your life. And when we remember that fasting is about glorifying God, it leads us to the next lesson we learn in Zechariah. And that's this, fasting should lead us to obedience. Fasting should lead us to obedience. I want to go back to Zechariah chapter 7. Verses 8 to 10 says this, Then the message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. So this is, this is God's answer. This is what God really wants in their hearts. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. And do not scheme against each other. That's the heart God wants. That's what God's looking for. That's the obedience God is looking for. And the Israelites, their, their stale fasting had led them to forget that there should be obedience involved in our fasting. That there is action that should take place. Because their fasting had just become a ritual and not something that was playing uh, that that was playing an active role in them seeking God. There was no obedience that came from it. But listen, as followers of Jesus, if you made the decision to follow Jesus in your life, during our time of fasting, not only should we be seeking to glorify God, but we should be seeking his will over ours. And I'll tell you what, when you start to seek God's will over your will, it's going to lead you to obedience. It's going to lead you to have to take action in your life because it requires obedience and surrender. There's a great revivalist in the 40s and 50s, and his name is Franklin Hall. Franklin Hall. 
and he wrote a book called Atomic Power with God Through Prayer and Fasting. Great book. Great book. And he writes about four appetites that every single one of us have. Every human being, we have these four appetites, myself included. And the four appetites are spiritual hunger. Every person on the face of the planet, on some level, even if they say they're not spiritual, there is some aspect of their character, of their personality, of who they are that hungers a little bit for spirituality. Okay? That's the first hunger. The second is physical hunger. Every human being, we, we need food. We need physical nourishment. The third hunger is lust. Every human being on some level has a deep desire within them for some sort of instant gratification. Okay, so lust doesn't necessarily just mean sex. It can mean a lot of other things. It's this instant gratification. I need this right now. And then the last appetite is greed. We all have an appetite for greed on some level. We want more. We need more. I need that new iPhone. I need a new house. I need more money. I need a, I need a lake house. I need a new car. I need, I need all of these things. And what Franklin Hall talks about is how fasting quenches our hunger. It quenches our hunger for lust, food, and greed. But what it doesn't do is quench our hunger for spiritual things. In fact, it increases our appetite for spiritual things. He says this, it was through the yielding to temptation that Adam and Eve gave way to satisfying their appetites for all of these hungers at once. The temptation of Jesus Christ was similar to that of Adam and Eve's temptation, and it was with these same appetites that Satan chose to tempt Jesus with. And the temptation that Franklin Hall is referring to takes place in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, that's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. Four. And Jesus has been in a solitary place, praying and fasting for 40 days. He has not had food for 40 days. Okay, some of you went 40 minutes and you were hungry. Jesus has not had food for 40 days. And he has been praying and fasting. And at the end of these 40 days, the devil or our enemy or Satan comes to him and he tries to tempt Jesus. In, ver in chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell those stones to become loaves of bread. Remember, Jesus has not eaten in 40 days. So at this moment, not only is Satan tempting him to satisfy his physical appetite, Satan is tempting him with lust. Listen, you know you want it. You know you want it. You can have it right now. Instantly, as soon as you eat that bread, you'll feel better. You'll feel good. Not only that, he's tempting him with greed. Listen, Jesus, I know you have the power to have more. You can have more in your life right now. You can have bread. You can have what you want in life. You can, you can take it right now. But what we learn from Jesus in his response is that during these 40 days of fasting, he has spent that time increasing his spiritual appetite, increasing his spiritual fervent. And it says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, but Jesus told him, no. Man, I love, there's even the exclamation point in there. Like I can just picture Jesus just yelling that at Satan. No, the scriptures say, 
People do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. His fasting had led him to this place where he no longer needed those appetites in his life. What he needed was more of God. Because fasting was about glorifying him. Fasting was about obedience for Jesus. And then I love in in John, the Gospel of John, or in 1 John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2. One of Jesus' closest friends writes this, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Listen, some of you this morning, you don't even need to hear anything about fasting. What you need to hear is are these verses right here. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. We all have physical cravings and pangs of hunger hunger that, that we're fighting against every single day. Every single day. And what fasting does is it heightens our senses and allows us to see just how much these other appetites are ruling us. It's in this heightened state of awareness that we begin to hear more clearly what it may be God is calling us to do in obedience. As we quench those three hungers and we increase our spiritual appetite, all of a sudden we're starting to hear from God maybe a little more clearly what he might want in our lives. And that's because fasting should lead to sensitivity in the spirit. Fasting should lead to sensitivity in the spirit. And the Israelites are going to show us how to do all of this wrong. In verses 11 to 14 in Zechariah chapter 7, this is the end of the story here. It says, this is God still talking to the Israelites. Your ancestors refused to listen to this message. They stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. They made their hearts as hard as stone so they could not hear the instructions or the messages that the Lord of heaven's armies had sent them by his spirit through the earlier prophets. That is why the Lord of heaven's armies was so angry with him. Now listen, this this verse is so key. Verse 13, since they refused to listen when I called to them, I would not listen when they called to me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. As with a whirlwind, I scattered them among the distant nations where they lived as strangers. Their land became so desolate that no one even traveled through it. They turned their pleasant land into a desert. So to keep fasting fresh in our lives, we've learned a few things from the Israelites' mistakes. The first is this, that that our fasting should glorify God. Every time we fast, we should glorify God in that fast. Whether it's for one day, one meal, or one week, every time we fast, we should be seeking to glorify God. The second thing is this, that through our fasting, it should lead us to obedience. That as we start to hear from God and see direction, in what he wants in our lives. It should lead us to and move us to obedience. And then the last thing that we learn from the Israelites is that fasting should lead us to be more sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to us. Now, now some of you this morning, you, the Spirit doesn't live inside of you yet because you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus yet. The Bible tells us that when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to surrender our lives to him, God makes his dwelling in us. That the Holy Spirit now lives within us and the Holy Spirit for the rest of our lives 
is seeking and trying to transform us to look more and more like Jesus every single day. But for the Israelites, instead of fasting to grow closer to God, they fasted because their temple had been destroyed. They fasted because they were under Babylonian control. They fasted because they wanted something other than God. And God speaks to that in verse 13. Since they refused to listen to me, I wasn't interested in listening to their fake fasts. They wanted their temple to be rebuilt. God wanted their relationship to be rebuilt. And because God wanted something for them that they didn't want, they chose instead, I'm going to ignore what you say. And maybe that's where you're at this morning, where God's speaking to you. Maybe you've even been fasting and God's kind of made it clear your next steps, the next direction he wants in your life. And you're like, no, God, that's not what I want. So I'm not interested in hearing. Like the Israelites, like the, like the children, you stick your fingers in your ears. You're not interested, God, unless it suits my will and my desires and what I want. God, I have no interest in it. That's what the Israelites did. When we fast, the ultimate goal is not that God just gives us something on the other side. That's not why we're fasting. God's not a genie in a bottle. Fasting had become stale and a burden to the Israelites. And like we said at the beginning of this series, fasting without prayer and seeking God, it's just a diet. It's just a diet. It's a new trend. Prayer and quietly listening to the Holy Spirit during our time of fasting unplugs our ears and softens our heart to hear what the Holy Spirit might be trying to say to us when we're too distracted to listen. I want you all to imagine this just really quick. I want you to imagine that right now, Jesus literally walks through those doors in the back corner. What would we do? We would all immediately turn and look. We would study every blink. We would, we would be so hyper aware of him, every twitch. We'd, we'd write down every word he'd say. We'd have a million questions to ask him. Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, he says this, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you. In the same way you would respond if Jesus walked through those doors right now, you should be responding to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of your heart. What a promise. If you put your faith in Jesus and chosen to follow him, Holy Spirit's ready to start transforming you. So as we learn to be sensitive to the Spirit, it leads us to obedience and it, it teaches us and transforms us to look more like Jesus. So as we wrap this up, I want to give you just a few practical things you can do to apply this. The first one is this, just maybe start fasting. It, like maybe we're three weeks in and you, you haven't tried this yet. Maybe fast one day a week, maybe fast two meals a day, maybe fast Wednesday or Friday or create space in your life to, to increase your spiritual appetite. I know at the beginning of this series, like I challenged the, the, the church to, to, to do this for 21 days. They, they say through studies that it, to build a habit in your life, it takes 21 days. 
So, so maybe you're fasting in different ways on those 20. I'm not saying don't eat food for 21 days. What I'm saying is try to build this into your life because the goal is not to fast a couple times during the series. The goal is to build this in to be a habit in your life for the rest of the year, for the rest of your life. Maybe you need to re-engage in fasting. Maybe fasting has kind of become what Sonic the Hedgehog 2 became to me. It's just kind of become a little stale just kind of become a little stale and maybe that's because you've lost focus what it's all about maybe you need to reinvigorate your fast by seeking to glorify god by seeking to obey him and by seeking to be more sensitive to the spirit that he's given you and listen i I challenge you don't do all the talking don't do all the talking a lot of times god can't even get a word in because we're so busy talking don't do all the talking. Last we, lastly, we learned a few lessons today that can be applied to, to more areas in our spiritual journey than just fasting. And the first one is this, is glorify God. So I want to challenge you. What is an area of your life that has grown stale and glorifying God is just an afterthought? Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's reading the Bible. It, maybe, if you're being honest, it's coming here on Sundays where you look at Sundays as a burden and not something you're invited into. Maybe you need to obey God. What's an area of your life that you can start to practice some radical obedience? Maybe God's asking you to seek reconciliation with a, a friend or a coworker or a family member. Or maybe God's asking you to increase your giving. Maybe God's asking you to start serving your local church or your community. Whatever it might be, maybe God's asking you to be obedient. The last thing is this, and I cannot overemphasize this one enough because it all starts here, is be sensitive to the Spirit. Be sensitive to the Spirit. If, if you're like me, you like to talk. If you can't tell, I like to talk. Sometimes I talk a lot, and I rarely listen, especially when it comes to God. So this week, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to do something every single day. Take 30 minutes. Sit down. Turn off your phone. Don't turn on worship music. Don't do it with the TV on in the background. Maybe you even need to get into a closet. I don't know what you need to do, but take 30 minutes and sit in silence. And just listen. Just listen. You will be shocked at how much God wants to say to you through his Holy Spirit that you're just so busy to hear. Hear. 